Well, hello. What's up? It's Ergo. It is indeed. I'm Kiss. I'm Damon. And what we do here is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of Chicago for the more equitable and creative. How are you feeling, young Damon? I'm feeling alive. Feeling grateful for that. I'm all good. How about you? I'm good. It seems like that's kind of just become a default answer for you. It's either that or I'm not doing well. <laughs> <laughs> if there's nothing special to report about or nothing sucky, that, that's probably just alive. Alive and grateful for it. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's like a slightly longer version of too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> <laughs> we have an excellent guest. Fantastic conversation here for you uh, today. Trina Reynolds Tyler is a organizer, graduate student at the University of Chicago. She has been an important organizing member of BYP 100 and has done all kinds of other great work. She's working a lot in uh, understanding data and humans and how we can reshape the city on a quantitative level as well as qualitative. Yeah, it's a great conversation, great person, one of the homies. So let's get into it. Here we go. What's up? It's your girl Trina. You're listening to <laughs> on Pandora. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to my station on Pandora. <laughs> if you want free ads and don't want to listen to me no more, go pay nine a year a month. Uh, That's funny. All right, we we gonna do I'm it. Gonna turn a little bit because I think I'm getting a little bleed. Are your mic? Not bleed. That's what it. Yeah. I feel like we've never bled before. It's one of the more violent audio terms. The other ones are the thing, the plug that goes into the thing is called the male, and the like. Other port uh, is called the female. Uh, so I've been ooh. trying to get that out of the... Break that binary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you and know the, that? I, I did didn't. not. They're like... All, all, everywhere? So like your like phone jack is technically the female? Yeah. So like... I'll show you on the are male. That makes like, me feel... Like... Gross. Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah. People are pervs. That's I mean, yeah, that's just it's, nasty. It's like, per, it's like all throughout yeah, our like world yeah. too. It's not even like, oh, like... Some, People, creepy scientists do yeah, somewhere like, like yeah. <laughs> you see, it's going to it's take it out. <laughs> All audio techs are third graders. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ready? Y'all ready to do this? Let's I do. Let's so. do a thing. How hey, you feel? You feel good? I feel good. Can we take one deep breath together before we start? Yes, thank you. One, two, three. There it is. Beautiful. Hello. Hi. Hey. I know we didn't take a break, but I was off the... I haven't been on a microphone in a while, so... You're letting them behind the curtain. I'm a little rusty, a little sick. Mm-hmm. Same. Um, but, oh, oh, no. Sick gang in here. Oh, no. Great. Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> uh, a good idea to be in a soundproof, in a soundproof sealed room. Sealed <laughs> vault. Uh, um, but we have a we have a wonderful special, special guest, guest with us. Trina reynolds is here. Bra, bra, bra. Hey, Organizer. Activist, data enthusiast, yeah, social butterfly, yeah, radiant smile haver. Thank you, auntie. Yes. That's a big one. Yes, too. yes, you are. You are deep in your auntie game. Like officially auntie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah hardcore live, auntie. Live with a three and a half year old. Live in auntie. Yes. Oh, that's different. That's a whole nother level. It's like auntie mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Sibling. Uh huh. Everything. Shout out to uh, shout out to the three year old. She's amazing. Do you want to share her name? No problem if you don't. Pull. No, of course. Her name is Tessa May. Shout um, out to Tessa May. We have the Darn same it. initials. Uh, was yeah. that on purpose or an accident? It was on purpose. My sister and I have the same initials. Okay. And then we were like, okay. So y'all the T gang. Mm-hmm. T-M-R-T. It's, uh, it's cute. It's it sounds cute. like a, I just immediately thought of Tracy McGrady and Kenyon Martin. T-M-A-R-T. 
T. Martin. Yeah. Like if you just, I mean, this is irrelevant. (laughs) (laughs) Truly Uh, irrelevant. Yeah. We always like to start uh, with the same two-part question after I say something that doesn't matter. Uh, In this time, in this moment, in this season, you're going to be okay. Okay. How's the world treating you and how are you treating the world? That's a great question. I would say that um, the world has treated me well. Um, I'm very grateful. I have kind of, I think about uh, two years ago, I started setting some goals Mm. that I thought were unrealistic for me because I was never a good student in college (laughs) and didn't do that well in math. And I was organizing and like uh, just in a very different place in life. And I told myself like, you know, I'm tired of, I was in the organizing community. I was like, you know, we hear all these narratives, like people are talking about things that they're encountering on a regular basis. And then uh, folks victim blame um, in order to like be dismissive. And Mm -hmm. so they're like, oh, that that happened because you did X, Y, and Z. Or like, well, like that's an isolated event. Like that's not, you know. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you through data analysis you kind of I started to realize like dang every a lot of people are actually experiencing the same thing in the same moment like at the same time and yeah. and 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 the responses to all of those individuals separately are that's your fault you made that decision right. you shouldn't have been there x y and z and so I kind of put myself I was like you know what I'm tired of like people using that as like a tool against hmm. against us I'm about to go to school and I like, I I did a lot of, I did a whole lot of extra stuff, like took extra classes at UIC and like t- paid for, you know, just did a lot that yeah. I, um, and I could barely make ends meet in that way. And yeah. um, I got into like, I only applied to one school and I got in and now I'm, I'm doing well. Mm. And I just never really, I never saw myself on the University of Chicago's campus, like period. So the world has been good to me in that way. Like I, I am like setting goals and accomplishing them and that mm-hmm. feels really good. But on the flip side, like I'm not treating myself very well because I've been like on the go so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This weekend, like my body put me down. Like I'm, <laughs> When I tell you all weekend, I did absolutely nothing. Shout I just out. like laid on the couch Shout out. and I haven't done that in so long. Hmm. And like I was, I you know, there's something I think about um, – my high functioning, I don't, I think that may be the term to use to describe it, mm-hmm. where like I always feel like I need to be doing something. Yeah. And if I'm not being quote unquote productive, like what is my worth? Yeah. Um, and productivity is a motherfucker. Right. But like it's produ- rest is productive. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and it depends what the end goal, you know, like exactly. if the end goal is to be a human, yeah, you got to rest. Exactly. <laughs> or it's valuable, right? Yeah. It's healthy. It is. And I don't know that, um, I feel like, I've never really seen what it looks like to be like a healthy adult, mostly because like my parents, they were working hard. They were raising kids like, you know, my mentors, they were there. It's like mentors in career, you know, and they they are hardworking and they they are, you know, or just like on some day to day, like working people are working and have never. I don't know that I've never ever seen anyone who really had the capacity to or knew to make time for themselves. So I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah. It's been a journey. So I want to go back to something you said, which was like the, the jumping into into this data analysis work and learning the policy side. Um, but that that it was kind of a responsive thing to a critique that you knew wasn't right, but you didn't have the numbers to back up, basically. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of responsiveness? Are there other examples you can think of in your life where like 
a major decision was made because you were tired of someone claiming some bullshit. <laughs> huh. I mean, I think it works on the organizing level, but I'm curious on a personal level. Like uh, where I had to make a decision in response to like, oh, this is frustrating me. Yeah. I cannot do Let me this. make a change. You know, um, uh, this is like actually a very productive one too. Mm-hmm. It's not like necessarily a, a super negative critique, but I work for an organization called the Invisible Institute. Mm-hmm. I think y'all had Jamie on the yeah, show. We just had him on a few yep, weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, working in an organization is, especially at the Invisible Institute, it's amazing. Like, we have a small team. You have really, like, agency, like, autonomy over your work. You know, you you come in when you feel like it. Um, everybody gets paid the same, which is, wow. like, it's an equal pay structure. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you get raises based on, like, how much time you spend at the organization. But there's but, a minimum salary that's, exact- like, a shared Mm-hmm. That's cool. Which is like you know, it, you know, you feel like you belong at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, like your colleagues respect you, but you know, you're at an organization. There's a brand. Um, mm-hmm. There's a way that they like things to go. There are various personalities, various projects. And my homie Myra and I wanted to do more like creative things um, with young people, hmm. and we. Uh, applied for this uh we already work with young people in a project called the youth police project where we talk Mm -hmm. to young people about their encounters with the police and we still have those relationships with those young people from that um but invisible institute doesn't produce a lot because um especially on our young folks because we don't want um to take advantage of them to make them it's like you know, take their voices and right, like objects for use it yeah. to amplify, right? Um, but we also want to engage youth in a like dope way, yeah. like in a we want to engage youth beyond like being in the classroom with them. So uh, Myra and I applied for through Chicago Votes. Um, Damon was mentioning earlier. He's like, "Oh, you work with Chicago Votes, right?" Well, um, but I kind of like found out about this grant called the Mid- Midwest Culture Lab grant, where they just like paid you money, like artists, organizer, like literally like. Mm-hmm. whomever um to engage young people civically and i think the goal was to eventually get them to vote mm-hmm. um <laughs> i mean like to just me hit, hit with the shrug emoji to right me there. i'm just like you know people are allowed to make their decision i vote but like i'm not gonna be like shaming folks to vote mm-hmm. really i just want people to be informed right and so we started we started making short videos have you ever seen on my instagram where uh, it's like mm. yeah yeah like no, we're just were, looking raw, yeah. we're just looking dumb like <laughs> we look so silly but um but we decided you know we wanted to to create more we wanted to produce more yeah. and we also wanted to engage our young people in the, if they wanted to be engaged in that way without it being like the brand of the invisible institute right. mm-hmm. um but also like based off of our very authentic relationships with them. Like, they want to create with us, you know, or they want to chop it up with us. um, Or so that they can see, because they produce, they're in, like, a broadcast media Mm. tech class. And so, like, knowing that they can do this, like, as grownups who are, like, not in in school, but they can use their iPhones and, like, make funny videos about healthcare and, like, voting. And Mm -hmm. so um, that was a moment, I would say, where I was, like, responsive to, like, huh, you know, this space is beautiful and I love it actually, but you know, I need to do something different. I want to, yeah. I want to do something more and I can't do that here. So I'm going to just create it myself. And, um, I mean, we're not, we're not like experts or, yeah, no. you know, we, we go back and forth about what we should talk about. Um, but really we're just trying to make information accessible. Yeah. And those videos are also, I think I'm going to roll in, if you don't mind the audio from one of them right here. 
The mayor sits at the head of the city. He calls a player. Quarterback. Round dropped out, which y'all worked hard for. Good job. Good job. But that changes the whole game. Why is the field for right-wing players like Gary McCarthy and Bill Davis? On the left, we have folks like Amara India, Susana Mendoza, Tony Preckwinkle, and more. On February 26th, we'll vote and we'll find out the top two. Top two. Then it's going to be the Super Bowl. The runner. What? You think this isn't a big deal? Our last mayor closed over 50 schools and mental health facilities. Look at me. We are not about to let our next mayor further divest from our community. Now listen. Do you know your war? Do you know who your alderman is? If you don't, you need to go to this website right here and look them up. No, those are those are cool. And was that I, I even like leading up to the election? Like those were super um just like funny. Mm-hmm. Vibrant. Like very rarely are people, I feel like, studying public policy hilarious. I am glad you feel that way. Yeah, I found <laughs> I found them very funny. Do you is there anyone in your classes that you're doing your work with who you find really, really funny other than you? Oh. Nah. <laughs> that, was the, that was the nah. No, 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 no. To no, Neil, there's a student. She's So she graduated like maybe two years ago or maybe mm-hmm. a year ago. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. But to Neil, we've been trying to trying to sit down with to Neil for quite some time. But she's she actually like would make short, like funny videos on her Facebook. Mm. Um and like like pretending to be characters and like you know all the but like um but i think she just like stopped having time you know yeah. she graduated from high school got a job you know tried to do the job thing um like faced other other various issues like lost some folks yeah. um she's hilarious and i really want us to support her in creating that space again like yeah. in her life she's like I don't. I don't even know how to describe her person. Like literally role playing, like hmm. other, like the president or something. You know what I mean? Like, um, she's super dope. So yeah, yeah. Shout out to Neil if you hear this. Respond to that email, please. She's amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, we we don't email. We like you know when you work with young folks. Oh yeah, you no, like, you're in a Snapchat, Instagram, yeah, yeah, exactly. Snapchat, mm-hmm. yeah, um, Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's yeah, how we Facebook get is like the formal option. It's like sending a carrier pigeon if someone's 12. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a telegraph. Yeah. I, I, I want to come back to this, like, trying to re-engage or maybe even transform or just engage in a new way the civic space in, like, digital, more vibrant ways as we, are like, are in a new age of information. But I want to go back to, like, something you said in the opening um, because you kind of grounded where you are right now in your study and in this transitory moment of, you know, being a graduate student. And, you know, you mentioned the complexity of being at University of Chicago or just even the surprise of you never saw yourself there. Uh, And I want to go deep into that because it's really interesting because you like, you grew up like 90 seconds from the university, Mm -hmm. right? So you you saw it most, if not all of your life, uh, but never saw yourself there. So it wasn't like it was out of your imagination, Right, like it was very clearly present, um, and so t- so talk more about that feeling and and what that says about where you at. Yeah, um, so I grew up in a home that my great grandmother began to own in her time, and my father, in his generation, like he owned it, and we renovated that house ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like it, amazing, it's a, like beautiful house. It was oh my yeah. goodness, I'm so grateful. Like it's such a blessing, 
And like we put in those wood floors, like me as a shorty, like with a sledgehammer. It's <laughs> so like, like some quality wood. Um, uh, and, I'm and, a fan of like some quality wood. Yeah. yeah. You and, respect wood? Oh, I respect wood. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a curb your Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's real good. That's now. real good. Um, <laughs> There's uh, a curb undercurrent in every episode that y'all I'm just dead. don't know. Some Easter eggs for you. Y'all are really best. Some friends. Passover <laughs> eggs for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But so the home is beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yes. generational. And, 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 the, and the block used to be like really black. Like it used to be, it's like right on the, it's like right at the perimeter between Washington Park and High Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a really interesting upbringing where like um, over time, you know, people started to lose their homes by way of gentrification, by way of the University of Chicago taking over. And like as I was growing up, you know, University of Chicago students would walk past all the time, but they were never kind to me. Mm-hmm. And like, um, and you know, I would say hello and you know, folks would just ignore us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was a really uh the 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 relationship was very different. And um, nobody says hello less than a gentrifying white person. Oh my goodness! I was like, <laughs> or more, right? They they're all they're either over helloing or they're Ooh, just they're wow. just silent. drag me, exactly. Damon. Drag <laughs> me. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> they're never in the middle. They don't know that balance. No, no. Oh my so It's either like hi or like, or just the very like lip tight little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like they're over It's Like I don't have time to have this long conversation with you. Yeah, and then even like. Even then, like, I think it was really a socioeconomic thing because, like, we didn't have a lot of money. But, like, my my grand, my great-grandmother began to own this crib and my father was a hustler. Like, so mm-hmm. he found ways in order for us to, like, maintain that space. Um, but, like, I know other girls who, like, I went to—I was, like, in circles with in high school who lived—like, there's a girl who I know, she lives, like, a block away from me. She had a very different experience than me because she was a high parker. Mm-hmm. And, like, she had money— and her her folks had like access and opportunity and like summer camp and like when I was going to summer camp I was going to summer camp on the west side because um, mm-hmm. my father was a park district supervisor I was at Orr I was at Austin Town Hall Homer Square Levine Park I think that's what it was called like I, I was always on the west side on my summers and so um, my kind of like I don't know if it was about like. Again, I think it's really socioeconomic, but like yeah. the University of Chicago students didn't treat us with that amount of re- that level of respect. Yeah. I think even that, that they probably treated the girl, uh, Kirby Summers, who lives like a block away oh, from I me. Know Kirby. Yeah. I went to school with Kirby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Elementary school. Mm-hmm. But, Kirby. Yeah. But, My brother is now the city treasurer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kurt, Kurt Summers. Uh-huh. Yeah. They also did the shared first initial, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yes. Actually. Um, but so, like, you know, we had different—I think those different experiences that we had hmm. were, like, you know, that—because I'm sure—I don't know if she ever saw herself on that campus, but I never did because they treated us very different. They policed us different. Yeah. Like, I was in the park. Like, I used to—I used to sell—like, when I was in college, I used to sell, like, swishes and squares in the park. And, like, that, that's my—that was, like, my home. Like, those mm. are my, my homie, my squad, like, yeah. my family. And, like, that's where I really felt safe. And, like, none of us felt, like— you know, we just felt like the University of Chicago was like a thing that was like right. nearby that was like buying up all this land. Um, so was it actively aware? Because because they move, they they have an ability to move in like real secret, and so it was it was clear like oh they just bought this crib, they just bought this spot, or it just was like 
Yeah, it was like you. So there was these moments where homes were, first of all, it was like houses were like now this was a black family and now this is no longer a black family. And they're building it up and making it new. Hmm. And like there's a frat party happening down the street. Mm -hmm. And then you would see like I remember like over time seeing like masses of like white kids with red solo cups and and like walking down the street screaming, cursing, like doing whatever and not even facing any Any kind of, and then I remember there was a moment where like all these apartment buildings, like right on Maryland, like 54th in Maryland, mm-hmm. and then a bunch of apartment buildings on, on Drexel, they just got bought, and like all of my friends, all the people who I knew who like lived there, mm-hmm. just all of a the sudden multifamily units moved. Yeah, they had to move, and I was yeah. like, oh, like this is, and that was the that was a big moment mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, this this is no longer. Was that like high school or like middle school? Or, or? Um. I would I would say it was like high school, like okay. right at the beginning, um, around high school. That's why I, th- I think we we talk about or like the in all of our circles, like the university's presence is always like, uh, a pr- but like we rarely talk about somebody who lived on that, bl- like literally right there on the margin line. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's so different. And like- for people not in the city who don't like understand and maybe don't get why we shit on University of Chicago so much. It's obviously this prestigious, well-funded institution, but it is literally surrounded by the hood, right? So the the most cartoonish or the, the places where you think of as these cartoonish, villainous, like other imagination of like this wild blackness, which is obviously not the reality, but like what the news or what like conservative mm-hmm. consciousness says about the South Side is what is surrounding this yeah. privileged, you know, well, hyper police. And they reinforce that. The thing right, is, right. they reinforce that in the classrooms. Yeah. Like my first, don't go past this line. Mm-hmm. No, my yeah. first, my first week at school, um, I think somebody got somebody got shot. Like, mm-hmm. um, right by like in August, like on campus, like at a stoplight. And I remember, you know, I was just making friends, and um, we were in the group chat, and the girl, like, she sent a message in the group chat, like, "Oh my god, like I don't want to get shot," and I was just like. Oh no. <laughs> and I think I said like statistically speaking, like it is it is very unlikely that you will be shot. Like I'm I'm more likely to like, be shot. Like we're here to talk stats. Oh, let's I, keep am, it on that. Yeah. I am more likely to be shot speak, than yeah. you are. Like, <laughs> I love the stati- statistically speaking voice. Statistically speaking, I was you're like, wilding. Like you're tripping. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but then even then, like in my classroom. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I'm in this class, analytical politics. And I was in the class. And my professor, he said, you know, he was like, you know, what's $1 to Mark Zuckerberg compared to $1 to someone from the South Side of Chicago? And I was like, oh. like, first of all, it is egregious to compare like an individual to like a complete like part of the city of Chicago, but also right. like this is coded language. Like right. you're you're not talking about like the professors who live on the South Side mm-hmm. of Chicago. Mm-hmm. You're not talking about yourself or like mm-hmm. some of these students who live on the South yeah. Side. You're talking about my black ass. Yeah. Like, and you're talking about a couple other students that are in this class. That's not okay. What was the point he was trying to make? He was trying to talk about like how money is like oh utility i'm sorry Mm -hmm. you were talking about utility Uh, and so you know uh people determine like policies uh based on different uh ideas like it could be like egalitarian or like utilitarian and egalitarian is like when things are equal when like people's utility is equal and like utilitarian is like 
Um, it can be like when like the most utility, so there could be somebody in society who has like way more utility than this other person, like way more happiness than this Mm -hmm. other person. Mm -hmm. But that's okay because like we want to live in a world that is utilitarian where that has like the maximum utility. So inequality doesn't really matter. So he was talking, when he was talking about those concepts, he's like $1 to Mark Zuckerberg compared to $1 to somebody from the South side of Chicago. Because his utility is greater? Because like Mark Zuckerberg doesn't care about a dollar. Mark Zuckerberg got money. Utility basically just means like use and benefit. Mm-hmm. Right? It makes sense. But like, so. yeah, black folks, like we need this dollar. But I'm just like, first of all, I can't go to the candy store with a dollar. So like, right. like what, you know, it was very frustrating. Get at least at $1,000. You know? like something, <laughs> something, right? We, we've talked about this on the show before, but I think. Because that I can work is like, ooh, $1,000. Mm-hmm. It does sound very utilifiable. <laughs> I see the utility. I see where you're going. What you going to say? Just, it's a point that you've made on the show before. And it, like, I think it bears repeating is the, like the philosophical and then like social impact of that border drawing of the university and then on what it exports. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we always use the example of like the Chicago school of economics and then that being like exported to Chile and this idea of like privatization and borders of like, you know, increasing disparity through privatization that coming from rich white people sitting in this in Hyde Park police pocket on the <laughs> south side of Chicago mm-hmm. where the borders are policed and they have privatized things through this university. Mm-hmm. And then it just so happens that like they happen to have enough power <laughs> to then go implement that thing that is like psychologically affecting them on enormous swaths of the population of the world. Yeah. But it's just their own insecurity about and, and racial and economic insecurity. Not yeah. economic insecurity, insecurity about their economic security. <laughs> no, and, <laughs> you know I mean? and you know what? Like something that really blows me about, like I don't think. Just like I'm sorry, but like, just like picture a Milton Freeman on Cottage Grove. Oh my god! You know what I'm saying like somebody trying to run some numbers or sell loose squares. Hey, Milt, he, nah. he was scared as fuck. <laughs> Talking about, oh, nah, no. he's hilarious. like, we need to divest from <laughs> all of this. He's like, you know, in, in ten years, I can predicting that shit. Like, yeah, oh, that's funny as hell. Well. All right, just waiting in line at sharks. Like, yeah. Oh my goodness. I cannot believe like but actually like right. Milton Freeman like occupied yeah. that space like yeah. was the you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's frustrating. For I, those who don't know, just to educate sometimes we go too far. Milton Freeman is like the I don't know, the architect. Yeah, the yeah. architect of like what we think of of Reaganomics, right? So there couldn't have been a Reagan and Thatcherism in the eighties if it wasn't for what Freeman was doing in the sixties, seventies, fifties, all of that. The example I was thinking I interviewed, and this is a tangent, and then I promise we'll get back to you instead of our silly jokes about Moan Freeman, but <laughs> it's a very niche market where else that we're can going we get, for. Where, who else is getting off these Milton Freeman jokes? So <laughs> the streets think. need them. <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed this woman for another project who went to my high school who like came into and she went to high school and at the specialized high school in the Bronx in the 80s and she was like I came in as a liberal and I left as a Reagan conservative because her and her friends got beat up they were white coming from Manhattan going to the Bronx on the train and they got beat up by poor black and Puerto Rican kids on the train and because of their positioning they then got to shape the policy for the entire country and it was just because of their mm-hmm. like petty fear because they'd gotten beat up on the train because they were nerdy white kids. So, like, if you can't, like, understand the psychologicalness yeah. of that. No, Freeman like, probably got his catalytic converters taken from his oh cars. <laughs> he was like, what? He, was like, no. he couldn't keep a hubcap. <laughs> He's like, these are black Negroes. 
No, actually, though, because that was the time, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. where he right? was probably like, uh-huh. "We're bobbing all of this shit oh, everywhere." Oh <laughs> You mean ninety percent of the world is this? Oh yeah, we're telling no. that shit. It's like, it's like, <laughs> but so, yeah, so um, you in there? Oh, oh, so I was gonna say, like, <laughs> but speaking of borders, like, mm-hmm. of, of like protecting quote unquote, like the mm-hmm. space is like they have a private police force, right? right. The and, biggest one in the U.S., right? Yeah, and Second yeah, biggest in the world. I think I think it's like yeah, it, it is. It's definitely like on the on the largest on mm-hmm. the larger scale, and like, um, you cannot get information about them. Like mm-hmm. in the way that we can mm-hmm. get information about like the Chicago police, yeah. mm-hmm. like you know we can like fill out a FOIA request and. You know, the work at the Invisible Institute, right, I, right, I know right. y'all talked to Jamie, like, yeah. you know, we sued the city. We have now access and like we have access to like officer names and like information about their history on the police right. force. Mm-hmm. You know, we cannot get any information on the University of Chicago Police yeah. Department because they're private. Right. But they have pulled me over before, before I was at the University of Chicago. They pulled over friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. They have so much power. They have the full power of the Chicago Police Department. They, they do. Yeah. And they are armed. And, you know, they are there to preserve the mm-hmm. space that the University of Chicago has created. And so, like, they're enforcing it on multiple layers. Like, on multiple yeah. levels. On, on the policy level, they're enforcing it. They're enforcing it in their classrooms. Like, mm-hmm. literally, when they're talking to all these these students who come from wherever. Yeah. into their And they say things like, you know... Was one dollar to somebody from the south to the yeah. south side of Chicago, and don't like, go past this line, yeah. and yeah. don't go past this line, and and then in their policing, like the police will stop you. the The police, if something happens on campus, like they're if somebody's protesting at the school, like they're gonna call the police. Mm-hmm. They're gonna right. the police are gonna come and like that to me is like really gross because it's just like on every single level. Yeah, um, they are really they're doing they are shaping. Like, and it's 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 very effective and it's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, as little accountability as we have for the public, we have even less for the private. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know? are, are you? Uh, have you tuned into the care not cop stuff happening on the campus a little bit? No, I haven't. Okay, so it's actually pretty cool. It. I. I, I I spoke at two of their rallies, one last year and one a couple. David weeks only ago. shouts at things he speaks at. That's true. That's true. But it's students on, on campus about <laughs> a, 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 almost a year ago to the date. Uh, a student was having a mental health episode on campus. Yeah. Uh, UCPD responded, shot the student. I'm I'm 95% sure the student survived, mm-hmm. um, but was was shot by the police during a mental health episode. And so the students, kind of aware of the movement in the city, um, like tried to take a a radical and if not like abolitionist lens to the U- UCPD. Um, and so now a year later, what they're demanding is transparency around the budget because 40% of uh, the school's budget is from tuition. And hmm. so they want transparency similar to how what we expect of government in the state around the budget, how many of the resources are going there, a diversion from then those resources to not only for student mental health resources, but to like kind of readdress this communal harm we've been talking about and actually provide freer resources to the community. Uh, so they're, they're, it's pretty cool. They're like they're they're taking on the they're demanding democracy uh-huh. in a private institution. And so there's a few uh, staff folks on board, but I know grad students and undergrad students have been working to do that. So. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, people should know that around the world because it's important because these private police forces are becoming the new model. And so yeah. figuring out how to start resisting or how to start transforming that, yeah. uh, the UC, the U Chicago students are doing a pretty good job with that. Cool. Wait, and also that student, he definitely survived, mm-hmm. um, was expelled. Like, so it's no longer a student there. He was. It was right around the time that he was um, um, supposed to be like 
there was like, I think it was like the last quarter, like, or around finals, mm-hmm. um, maybe, yeah, around finals time, which is like the one of the most hectic times, like on the campus. Mm-hmm. And he also, um, so not only was, is he no longer a student there, I'm sorry, but he also is being charged with, I think like assault of an officer or mm-hmm. like, he's currently facing charges right mm-hmm. now. For that instance. Yes. Mm-hmm. For him being shot yeah. and expelled from school. You know what I mean? Like, so just even thinking about like the ripple effect, yeah. like even beyond like, okay, you know, this encounter you, that, that that was horrible, yeah. horrifying, but also he is still facing some of the challenges because, mm-hmm. and they're, they are still it's pursuing. The physical, like, right. Like, it's, yeah. it's just like, that's, just, that's, just, that's destructive. Disgusting. Yeah. It's just, destru- it's some old, like they used to like, they probably still do somewhere like you got blood on my shirt. You have to then like pay me for it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah. yeah. Who you heard it here first, folks? The cops are wild. <laughs> they are. So let, let's get back yeah. to 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 the more the more the, the the stories that go with the smile, though, because I'm seeing the smile, <laughs> and you're you're now in this space. What what is exciting to you about the things that you're? That was literally with? about to be my next question. Good job, bro. Y'all are so cute. It doesn't make sense. It's like you're on the same wavelength. We've done a lot of talking to each other. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I remember when I first met y'all, y'all were like, I remember asking like, huh, like, you know, how did y'all meet? And you're like, oh yeah, like we were in college. Grinnell, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're like, you know, and then they was like, you know, I was economics and like. <laughs> you did like robot arms. <laughs> That is me, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, where were we? I, I think we were like in Jihad's basement or so, in his apartment, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe when we were, because in my head, that's where you were. I don't know if you that's. You made the Jihad basement move? I think it was not a basement. I feel like it was in an apartment. It is an apartment. Jihad's apartment but it was, was a basement. It, yeah, it yeah, currently is. This still. Seems, you still there? I thought yeah, he moved. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to Jihad. Vaguely, vaguely correct. Yeah, yeah. I remember us talking and being like, oh, this is like. Yeah, um, a beautiful pairing. <laughs> Look, of, like, I'll let you compliment us all day if you want. Um, but let's okay, I'm gonna take it back. <laughs> um, so you were saying, what was what, your? What, what's what, exciting you right now about oh. the work you're doing, about the people you're around, about the space you're carving in this violent, crazy institutional world? Yeah. Um, so, so I'm gonna talk about like some of the little ways of like resistance that yeah. I really appreciate, yeah. um, and then I'll talk like more largely about some of the things I'm researching. Mm-hmm. Um. So me, I'm me. I'm, I don't, I'm not changing myself when I come onto campus. And I think it's very, it's a different, I'm not, there, there aren't many people who like express themselves in the way that I express myself on the yeah. campus. And obviously blackness is not a monolith, uh, but also like the kind of black folks who come to a public policy program, like they're, they really vary. And there are some like real conservative folks and there's, hmm. and then I'm, I think I am the person who's on the other end of the spectrum. Like hmm. there's like conservative and then there's Trina and there are folks like um, in between it. So like, I'm not playing games when I come in there, I'm like asking questions and I'm speaking with my accent. Like yeah. I'm speaking the way that I speak. I will come there with a sweater that says black girls are gods or like the most beautiful things are made in the ghetto or like, you know, just like, um, with my blonde hair, like uh, my yeah. existence is resistance in this space, mm. and I'm not. I I speak up whenever yeah. I feel like somebody is saying something off, even though that's a lot of labor. For example, like I spoke up with the professor. I was like, "You can't really do like in yeah. the classroom." And it was my, I think it was like my second day. I was, was like, like, "We need a stack." I was like, bro. "Hold on one second. <laughs> it's like I think you shouldn't make that. You yeah. know, comparison that seems like. <clears throat> You know, that reinforces that. He's like, oh, you're right. Like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, so, like... Um, Policy professor. But the, right? but the danger is, or the, the 
the temptation or the challenges and like how do you not spend your whole time there trying to teach white people Correct. Doing and that. educate yeah. yeah um so it yeah it is a balance and um i protect my space like i have a couple people who i'm like i rock with y'all and like mm-hmm. that is my safe that is how i like stay alive um and stay present there so i want to talk about that those things that like bring me joy existing and like creating space for other people who look like me to exist in that space later. You know, I am there now and I am engaging and creating in a way that like will allow for the space for other young black women in films to really be heard. So that, that brings me a lot of joy, even though it's a lot of labor. Yeah. The other thing. So Mm y'all I'm working on a paper. Ooh. And exclusive. um, I'm very excited about it. It, so a lot of research has been done on closed schools, like how the kids have been impacted. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, well, from my to my knowledge, um, no one has done research on like how closed schools impact communities. Mm. Except for Eve. Eve's book yeah. did a lot on that. She did. Mm-hmm. She did. Um, she did like uh, qualitative mm-hmm. and like, yeah, yeah. she's amazing. I'm like working through the book right now. Shout um, out Ghost in the Schoolyard by Eve yeah. Ellen Ewing. Um, she's amazing. But, like, in in particular, I want to do some data analysis yeah. on, like, policing and, like, arrest and, like, crimes and, mm-hmm. you know, those how those things, like, how, like, um, how, like, communities were policed differently mm-hmm. once, like, a school was closed yeah. or once these young people who were initially going to one place are, like, were now forced to go to another place. Yeah. And some of those places were welcoming schools, which was, like— um, if you read when you read Eve Ewing's book, you'll see like, re- like welcoming schools, yeah, like yeah. you know, no that one was, was air quote for those. Oh, sorry, <laughs> there was there was no like there was the transition plans were not um, as sturdy as CPS would have liked you to believe, yeah. but a lot of young people didn't even get to the welcoming schools. Like right. a lot of young people went to other schools instead, or just were kind of like floating around for a little bit. Yeah, because you know, putting your your child into a new school, getting them to that location, like working with the bureaucracy that comes with like along with like calling a school and like getting your kid registered is like a lot of time, energy and effort that a lot of parents don't, you know, don't have capacity for. And so I'm interested in how communities were impacted, like on the relationship between like closed schools and like mass incarceration. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is bringing me some sadness and some joy. And then I'm also working on analysis on sexual assault of people at the hands of the police mm. um, because there are, I mean, we, we a lot of people know about like domestic abuse, like inter, intimate partner violence. Like a lot right. of police officers have a history of like domestic violence. With their partners. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so like- I think they might be like the highest demographic yes. of domestic abuse yes. proportion. Hmm. And so now think about like, these are the first responders right. to domestic violence and sexual assault and- like the list goes on, right? And so, so thinking about um, the uh, the kind of encounters that um, most women, many women in FEMS are encountering when they are calling for help. Uh, yeah. um, there is a, folks are being like assaulted. Folks are being like, sexually harassed folks are being coerced like it's a it's a real being arrested for defending Mm -hmm. themselves exactly we know these things are happening right but there's an investigatory board that exists in order to like stop these things in their tracks right but however what i've learned from my research so far is like i'll read a complaint register which is like 
or like a summary digest, like an investigator receives a complaint, you know, they do the investigation more like more times than not, like over 95 percent of the time, they're going to tell you that your complaint was unsustained or like unfounded, which means like that didn't happen. Right. But like I'm looking at a piece of paper and it says illegal search. But I see that the narrative says like, you know, this police officer uh, pushed me, you know, told me to go into the bathroom take my clothes off, search my body for drugs. You know, that is not an illegal search. That is an assault. That is sexual assault. Mm -hmm. But like even these investigatory systems, you know, these people who were put together um, to hold police accountable are like severely misstepping, like miss... um, are perpetuators. Yes. And misrepresenting this, yeah. And misrepresenting, right. And so, like, you know, you might look in the data and you say, like, oh, criminal sexual assault. It's only, like, it's not a lot of cases of criminal sexual assault if right. you look in, in the data. Because, like, it's not labeled right in the correct way. And so, right now, I'm working on this project with Andrea Ritchie. Um, she's the author of a book called Invisible No More that talks mm-hmm. about police violence against uh, black women, women of color. Um, shout out. We definitely should have her up here. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, but we're working on a project, uh, me, her, uh, Jenny Casas, she's also hey, amazing. Jenny. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and then some, some teams, some, some teammates on, at the Invisible Institute, we're working to, um, really uncover some of these stories and talk about how these important pieces of the narrative go missing. So not only are they like miscategorized, right, which like doesn't allow them to be investigated in the way that they need to be investigated, but also about how like the strategy around investigating police crimes in general, but, like, in particular against, like, women and femmes, um, that interrogation process is, like, not productive and not conducive mm. to, like, it doesn't center the survivor right. in the way that it needs to. Um, yeah. With the with the sexual assault project, we're doing some machine learning mm. uh, in order to, like, uh, do a targeted FOIA request. I don't know how to explain. I'm going to try to explain this like in a similar way that police use like predictive policing. They'll like mm-hmm. look at a data set and they'll see like who they arrested, like the demographics of those, the people that they arrested yeah. and they can feed it into an algorithm and they'll be like, okay, we can predict that next year we're going to arrest this kind of people. Right. Like, based off of the evidence. Yeah. Based on the racist data though. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, that's not, you know, that's not okay. That's an example about how of how, like, people can really misuse um, algorithms and, like, data um, in order think, to, like... As long as it's data, it's objective. And we... Right. If there's one if there's one thing you take from this show, it's that Moten Freeman is a tool and that data is subjective. Yeah. No, I mean, like, who is creating the data set? Right, like, right. if police are creating the data set and mm-hmm. police are racist, like, and, we, you, you, like, you're going to have a... a, a not and not only are police racist, but also like policing. the, the c- policing, like yeah, the yeah. institution of like criminalizing yeah. folks for a particular thing, like disproportionately impacts black and brown folks. You know that data set is going to have black and brown folks in it, mm-hmm. and so when you feed that to like a seemingly you know objective algorithm, yeah. like you are actually going to be reproducing some nonsense, um, or you're going to be reproducing racist um, decision-making. And then it becomes evidence for more racist decision-making. Exactly. That's a, yeah. Exactly. Um, and so I, I say that to say I started working with a data scientist to use machine learning in order to identify 
cases that may have been like may actually be sexual assault instead of mm-hmm. and but in order that data set that we we build that by reading narratives mm-hmm. right and like looking at a complaint register and being like okay this is not relevant like this is very clearly not a sexual assault now is it problematic yes but like for the purposes of this machine learning process yeah. you know this is not this is irrelevant this could be relevant and this is definitely relevant. Like this is definitely a sexual assault. And then we created our own kind of data set mm. and then fed it to an algorithm. Mm. And then that algorithm tells us like, oh, you know what? You should, based on the information that you just gave me, you should probably look at these other cases hmm. in order and read those narratives to see because it is likely that they could be sexual There's assault. There's a similarity in the in the data that you that you fed in, yeah. Exactly. And um, so we're working on just, like, storytelling, on, like, talking about policy, like, yeah. generally around sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about, like, we're thinking about theory around, mm-hmm. like, um, what does it look like to respond to sexual assault and, like, intimate partner violence. Like, I'm a police and prison abolitionist, and I understand that we're working in the world where prisons and police currently exist. Yeah. Um, we also know that we're working in a world where underreporting happens quite a bit because people are people understand mass incarceration and don't always believe that you know that they are they desire to pursue criminal charges like that does that criminal charges is not justice for everyone right mm-hmm. and so if we build structures where people have safety to report some of these like very intimate, vulnerable situations that they're, you know, violent situations they're encountering and not be like pressed to like file charges or to be interrogated. But we're actually just given a a space to process and talk about what they've been through. Mm -hmm. We would have much better data and like information on like how much sexual assault Mm -hmm. actually happens in the world. Mm -hmm. And best practices in terms of response. and And we would have Yes, yeah. because we would be centering. We would them. be trying. Right. <laughs> we would know how to do it better if we yeah, tried. Um, <laughs> what you're saying is, you know, one congratulations, right? Like that's really important work, um, and it, it is definitely kindred with the conversation we had with Jamie a couple weeks ago about this process of formalizing knowledge, right? Because there, there are these narratives that, like, especially in the black community, we all know. Right. Like we know that the influx of guns and drugs in our community is connected to police. Usually the people who have the firsthand knowledge, that knowledge is not allowed to be formalized. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, So as you were talking about all these stories of sexual assault, it was even like it it got my brain going because it was just taking me back to like Freedom Square experiences. And we're talking to so many people about that that building and just how common sexual assault was happening in the police procedure, in the interrogation procedure and it not being named or perceived as such, right? There was there was a a man who lived in the neighborhood who was very close, who was cool, and he was like, "Yeah, I was in there. I wasn't tortured." And then he explained it, and he was strip searched and like physically groped and assaulted. A, a woman who just happened to be my Uber driver one day, leaving from there, had wasn't even from the neighborhood. Just said, "Yeah, they came in, raided my my son, took me and f- followed me up in my nightgown, brought me here, strip search, right?" Like, and and so I'm just hearing. I'm hearing all of these stories without the methodology of how to formalize it, right? right? Mm-hmm. So, like, now I, I know it's true. I know it is not even 
true it's widespread because it's coming to me randomly right like we, we weren't going <laughs> out surveying yeah. we weren't going out searching for survivors right they just came by or happened to be the, by the data set arrived or, or happened <laughs> to drive by right um and so now that you are you know in the thick of making this knowledge formal making this knowledge uh institutionally valid mm-hmm. right what what do you imagine or what would your dreams of how we then put that into practice, how we then have this abolitionist future where it's not an armed military agent that comes in response to sexual assault, but somebody who's trained in sexual assault. Uh, what, what does that, have you been able to envision what that looks like more? I mean, it's For so, you, right? If you, but, so yeah. to me, yeah. So to me, that means like first response. So I've been having a, um, um, conversations with um, my homegirl, Laurel. She's at the law school and we, we talked about- Shout out about, to Laurel. Shout out to Laurel. <laughs> Um, Obligatory Laurel shout out. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, we were we were having this conversation about like if police are not the first responders, you know, that's a great idea. However, you know, social services have been been mm-hmm. used as a tool, as a weapon against you know black mothers mm-hmm. and yeah. b- black families, yeah. right? Yeah. And so. You know, there's something about, like, even if, like, a first responder, if, if let's say the first responder is a social worker or someone who specializes in, like, gender-based violence, and they come to your home, and, you know, they talk to you about your experience, and, and uh, um, we need to also make sure that, like, they are not, I mean, in, like, as we, as we approach this world of abolition, we want to make sure that they are not taking the information that they have access to in order to criminalize right. survivors. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, um, if there's a mother who is in um, in a partnership with someone who is violent and she has a child and she is, you know, communicating with said social worker about, you know, what she's experienced and then said social worker, you know, talks to her about, you know, what happened in her process and, like, healing and putting her in touch yeah. with resources— and then goes back yeah. and like tells police and then mother is criminalized or like has her child taken away from right. her as she gets it together. Right. You know, that's um, yeah. that's not fair. Yeah, policing isn't only done by police. <laughs> right. Like the mechanisms of it are done by all kinds of institutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so even then when I'm thinking about like first responders, I'm thinking about how like they have so much access to your information and can disproportionately, again, like, can disproportionately, like, tell you, Black Mama, like, okay, you, we're going to separate you from your child because, you know, we want you to have, you know, yeah, some yeah. time to, but, like, also your child might not necessarily, you know, we don't know where your child is going to be. You don't have access to, yeah. you know, like, all of these other things that come along with, like. And if there's one thing that we've learned on the large scale in the last year, it's that state and federal agencies when they move children, don't know where they're going oh and are not goodness. even trying. Right, You know, right. you think about all these kids separated at the border and, like, there are thousands and thousands of children, not to mention the kids in these tents, but there are thousands and thousands of kids spread out over the country who their parents and the government claims to not know where they are. So it, don't trust that either. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Because, like, I mean, like, I wouldn't trust, I would not trust the state. I would not trust the state <clears throat> to take my, right. even if they were, like, making it sound like, oh, you know, yeah. you you get these resources, you know, you know, find your housing, but, like, also your kid can't right. stay here with you. Like, that's a problem. And yeah. so, like, um, I'm really still trying to grow in my theory and my understanding of, like, what do I want? Because, obviously, I don't want police to be involved, period. 
I also know that as we are like on this journey towards abolition, we can't continue to put forth policies that will in fact strengthen mm-hmm. policing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's what folks have done accidentally. Right. I, I, I don't even I don't even think folks mean it when they're they're like, oh, we need to fix this problem. Like we're going to invest more into police. They just yeah, yeah. really think that that is the, they're like, okay, police need more training. Right. Or like, instead of thinking about like, oh, we need to decriminalize this and we actually need to like provide whatever salary money we would have given to the police right. as like money, you know, have a fund funds for like money to provide support mm-hmm. to not only this like person who is surviving violence, but also like her family. And, right. and a, a, a network of infrastructure that has human and communal relationship to the harm or to the occurrence, yeah. right? Like that whole, I think, very important hypothetical of like the carceral social worker, which has been the reality over the last hundred years of like, I'm basically here to help account, keep the system going, and then to deprive you as soon as I can as punishment, right? Like as basic as like the Malcolm X story and then everything we know about how welfare reform has worked, how, you know, that has contributed to a whole bunch of shit. Um <laughs> But what if the, the person who does that, right, is within a radius, is somewhat connected, right? Like the relationship that like a teacher has to their students, right? And how like a teacher is there, they call upon, if there's ever a conflict, miss so-and-so, you know, mm-hmm. like so they said this, they right? And then the teacher who knows which the child's tendencies, right? Like yeah. what if we invested in that on a communal level? It doesn't have to be in, you know, one government building, but on every neighborhood, yeah. there are people who are paid, trained, and invested and entrenched into a specific community to be able to respond to to those harms. Also, is there such thing as social worker client privilege? No, right? I'm thinking about like the careers where like the social worker has standards for when they're allowed and not allowed to report. There might be. I just don't know. But like attorney client privilege, like your yeah, therapist, they, your They make a lot priest. of people who do human work be, be mandatory reporters, reporters. Mandatory reporters. Which is in the jobs. That's just something I'm, I'm willing to fight, fall on that sword. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely taken jobs that have claimed to be a mandatory reporter. It's like, uh, yeah. Jokes on you. <laughs> right, right, right. No, no, honestly. You uh, prove it's mandatory. Yeah. No. Like, but I'll be responsible. I'm joking. Um, there's, yeah, yeah. there's responsibility to no, there, young people. There but. is yeah, yeah. responsibility, but like young but people. compulsory. Yeah. Young yeah. people are like people. Right, and right, right. and I, I've been like blessed to not. Uh, it's like I've had some youth jobs before where I wasn't a mandated reporter, but I was in a school and we were, well, we were doing like circles. Like Mm -hmm. I was doing some circle keeping. They would like share things and my process in supporting them to talk to somebody about it wasn't like, okay, I have to report this. So now Mm -hmm. it was more so like, oh, like, first of all, shock because like, wow, (laughs) I can't believe, you know what I'm saying? Like this has happened. Okay. Let's talk about it a little bit. You know, Um, okay. I can, you know, I can like, Let's get some tea. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'll give them a call, checking in like every day type. Like every day, you know, like on some like, oh, I'm just checking in on how are you feeling? Like mm-hmm. what's going on? Like, mm-hmm. you know, do you think we should talk to somebody else about this? Like are are you, you know, yeah. how are you processing? And then like typically I, it is like uh, the young people eventually like ease into like, okay, I'm going to go and talk to somebody right. about mm-hmm. this. But like at least giving them some time to process. Right. And, like, talk through some of the things. And then some things, like, I mean, some things, again, like, some things you have to, like, there are some things that are very solid when you're a mandated reporter. But then there are some things that you kind of have a discretion about. You're like, Mm. "Mm, 
where they're not, but like this yeah. needs to be handled. However, like this, I don't think that this institution will handle it the way that it needs to handle it. So let let me put them in touch with like other resources and like other programs yeah. who can like support them outside of like criminalizing them yeah. in their own schools. Yeah, I think about like we we've been really talking about like how do you extend ideas of consent beyond just sexual encounters, right? So like this is a question of consent. It's like if I'm mandated to report something, and again, I'm not in the position of someone who is dealing with people and young people day to day in that situation. So this is not to say like people are doing it wrong inherently and like I don't know the complications of being in that. So that's my for sure caveat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it like on the on the theory level, it feels like such a violation of consent of like someone tell a young person tells you something in confidence and not because they asked you to, but because the state says you have to, you have to go tell someone else. And then there are repercussions for that. Like that just on a moral level feels wrong to me. And it's often not explained to the young people before, right? Mm, that like yeah. all of these people you are interacting with are are legal snitches. Like they that's their job. Literally. <laughs> that is their job. <laughs> like they had to get a certificate and everything. Yeah. So what is this. the safe place for young people to like really share and talk about yeah. some of the feelings and things that they are experiencing um, without forcing them to do this thing that mm-hmm. may require like uh, required them to be separated from their families. Yeah. Like that's not, it's not like, like there are no really um, like brave spaces for young people to kind of talk about the things that they're encountering mm. um, because we, we haven't many times like haven't set up a space. Like it's like they go to school and when they're in school, it's like, you need to sit in this place. You need to learn this thing. Yeah. You know, we have a purpose. We have a curriculum. We're going to do, there's not like a place for them to just talk, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and that really matters. Like there's no place for young people to really just decompress and like outside of like gym, maybe. But mm. all schools don't have gym right. anymore. Yeah. Like people don't have re- we definitely don't have recess. Like mm-hmm. um, so it's really like robotic. Like they wake up in the morning. Yeah. They have to go to school and they're in school all day. And who knows what other like issues that they're yeah, encountering in yeah. school, yeah. whether it be from like police police officers in school or just like a various uh, school like um, policies that yeah. like criminalize them for mm-hmm. being late. Like, or oh, you just were, being 15. Or just, yeah. or just be, having human, like... Being a human being. But yeah. then particularly in Sorry, our divested communities, the concentrated collective trauma. Right? right. So now we all getting into it. We, we all have a conflict. We got a lot. Yeah. We got a lot on us. Mm-hmm. And then like after school, you know, at school is very robotic. And then after school, it's like there's no... It's like, okay, now you go home or right. you go somewhere else. But, like, there isn't a place where there are, like, adults or young people where, you know, we could just talk mm-hmm. talk yeah. shit, like, yeah, yeah. and figure, how are you doing today? Like, yeah. what's, you know, what? how'd you feel? What'd you, you know what I mean? Like, And then there's now, you know, we're seeing in practice the last couple of weeks, like, when young people do convene, whether, you know, in a space that's not, a corner in their neighborhood, even though they get hyper police there. But then they try to go and actually access other parts of the city for that decompression time. The hyper policing, and for those who haven't seen, for the last two weekends, which are like the first two nice weekends in Chicago, there have been these mass arrests of black teenagers downtown in the loop. Um, and, you know, kind of on the pretense of, you know, they're going to break windows and start trouble. And what people are being arrested for is like hopping turnstiles, basically, in those moments of like social enjoyment in the public that being hyper-policed and then being criminalized for that. So it's like, well, I can't be in private or in public. Like, where am I supposed to be? 
it's interesting. People were, a lot of people were commenting like, oh my goodness, like why did this happen? You know, how did the police know? And that is surveillance. Right. Well, that's what they said is they're following everyone's Twitter and Snapchat and Instagrams and all that. It's, it's disturbing. It's like, they are literally like on their, they're like, where are the kids going to be? Where are the young, where are the young black folks going to be? Oh, they're going to be there. Let me show up with like, like wagons to yeah. arrest them. Let me show up with like many like several like armed police officers while while these people are in while these young folks are here and and like let's see what happens like what do you expect right. to happen when like even when i get pulled over by the police i'm scared right. like even, let's just say i'm not i have not done anything wrong my, my, my i forgot to turn on my turn signal i have my seatbelt on like you know what i mean like i have d- theoretically done what I need, what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm still, like, it puts me on edge to be near when I drive beside a police officer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, like, imagining being a young person in, in this, like, climate, you know what right. I mean? Like, in this city, yeah. and to be, like, confronted, not with, like, oh, we about to give y'all some bouncy houses, because that would have been lit. Like, had they put <laughs> hella money into, right. like, bouncy houses, we about I'm to have jump ropes. bouncy house organized. We about to, like... <laughs> It would have been so lit if they if they were like okay we know these kids are gonna be in this place like maybe we should actually give them some like cool water. shit to do <laughs> yeah like like oh you need water yeah, like you need right. snacks like you need like up you know like something this is let's give you something fun yeah. to do it's like a beautiful day like why not invest in that and then the liberal op-ed published in the Tribune is like that the businesses downtown should give them jobs. It's like no, no. They should be able to enjoy the city. <laughs> like exactly. they, they were saying, yeah, like, like how dare they be police? Let them be laborers. Yeah. Like that is that is the farthest that we can imagine. Here's a bouncy house fun fact. Oh, this is something I've learned as a block party producer. <laughs> Any block in the city of Chicago can apply for a block party permit with their alderman and get a free bouncy house. What? Mm-hmm. One per year per block. Someone is cleaning up on the bouncy house contracts. Whoever signed, I want to know whose uncle got the bouncy house company, but on your block, you can get a free bouncy house for a day. I'm doing that this summer. This is a public service announcement brought to you by the good folks at Ergo. That's super lit. I'm going to do that. I'm actually actually Mm -hmm. putting that down for something. So, (laughs) yeah, let's keep keep rocking. Um, So I feel like we're in an interesting moment, right? Like we just had a mayoral election. Lori Lightfoot won. She's whack juice. Whack. Shout out to another... Dame in the world. Damon Dash has brought in this language of whack juice. <laughs> and I've been stealing it. I'm going to give credit right now. I'm so for the whack juice move. That mm. that language helps me so much move through this world. So she's super whack juice, right? But I, I think you, more than most, right, had a real crisp, like, hyper-engaged relationship to what went down, how things were going. Um, it was really like surprising and didn't make sense to me until like I, until it was clear what was happening. But like I'm not as curious of to like the back door plays that seem so obviously to be occurring. But yeah, what's up? Like where are we at with it? What did you learn that is surprising that like these like little memeable one click scorecard type headlines about this mayoral moment? Where, where are you at with it? Oh my gosh. So I feel a, a particular connect. Like Rakia Boyd is really what, like who centers a lot of my work. Like when I think about like who yeah. do I do this work for, I'm hmm. always thinking about like Rakia Boyd. Like yeah. in those days when like we were, were going to the Chicago Police Board, like turning up. Um, I couldn't believe it was like 
that's the person of all the people you have. like I, there are two million people in the city that's the person we're gonna let oh God. it's like of course though like they, that was the grooming process it, you like know, you think she thinks about that as like I paid my dues. Yeah, it's like yeah, when I was yeah. setting up chairs at the promontory. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm putting in my time. I'm paying my dues. I'm gonna get that gig. Yeah, no, oh, it's God. And, and, yes. And we should have known. I think like thinking back, I'm embarrassed. I'm like, oh, she was on the police accountability task force too, and yeah. like this was a thing, uh, an explicit like, posture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh. then I remember when she like first started going on the. Uh, on the radio, talking about you know police, yeah, you know th- yeah. like positioning herself uh-huh. in this way. Hey, I was, hey, I'm on GCI this morning. Oh call, call in with your questions. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that shit was super and fresh. And I remember just being like on my way to work, like man, get get out. But like I didn't realize like at that same time where I was like, get out of here. Other people in this city were being conditioned to they believe didn't have, they didn't know the backstory, right? And like, um. It's a great organizing lesson, I think. Yeah. It's like we're in those rooms. And Everyone then, else's perception is totally devoid of all of this. And yeah. it, it's part of why like the archive is so important, right? Is because, you know, there were clips that got circulated being like, don't vote for this. But I can't tell you how many conversations I had where I had to be like, hey, look at this video of her disregarding <laughs> the family member of someone who was murdered by the police. Yeah. And then people going like, oh, I'm not going to vote for it. <laughs> like it was that it was a one to one ratio. But I'm one person. Yeah. There were, you know, there were only so many people doing that. And, you know, if if the archive had been more visible, like that that was the the only thing that I saw that like actively changed people's mind on it, you know? Same. It was I was having like various like one-on-one conversations with people and they were like, "Oh my goodness, I had mm. no idea." Mm. Like, "Oh, my, you got to tell like, people about this." In my lift rides, yeah. you know, like in my walking down the street, mm-hmm. like I took so many young people to vote in this election like when I really got hurt was when um I saw how how badly like it was like 25%. She got 25%. I thought it was gonna be like at least uh, yeah. A, a, you oh, you know? mean that it was like a, that, that it was like a, only got twenty five. I thought she won every ward. Yeah, that is like like it was a landslide. Like yeah, that is like historic. Like yeah, I don't know that, that I don't believe that's ever happened before. Daily, maybe probably, some daily. Daily's stuff. probably got every some. <laughs> every ward. Yeah, you right. Maybe, maybe not every. Maybe every, nah. Every ward. Some of them, Richard. There was no competition for for little daily. Oh, that, that was our God. life. I, who who ran Alex. against Daly for all of those years? He was I, I, no, I, <laughs> just yeah. an Italian, One person. An Italian yeah. beef sandwich. <laughs> um, but I do think, and I mean, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist on this, y'all. Actually, the Italian beef endorsed Daly. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Are you oh, and actually, no, probably because he probably even didn't have to get to runoffs. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. It was, um, it was a, that was the second round. But mm-hmm. what was your conspiracy theory? Oh, um, I'm like, I'm getting excited for this. <laughs> no, because I, I think that they did this on purpose, like having two black women. Of course. Run mm-hmm. against yeah. each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did that on purpose. Like, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that that was. Oh, yeah. That was. That was that was the play the mm-hmm. whole time from putting her in front of us. Because because people knew that there was like an energy going on in the city right, right. now. Not just people, black, a black queer woman, too. Right. right now. And like, uh. It had it been like daily against Preckwinkle, yeah. I think there would have been it would have been a different kind. It would have been a different fight, right? Mm-hmm. But because it was Lightfoot against Preckwinkle, people thought like either thought like, well, I didn't really, I don't really care for either of them, mm-hmm. or like um, they were like, oh wow, two black women, oh yeah. my god, like yeah. this is a big, you know, this is a big deal, and like I'm actually very excited about this, and I was just like, oh, that therefore, you know, and then there was this play on like 
Preckwinkle is a part of the establishment, yeah. mm-hmm. and Lightfoot is not. And I was just like, Which was it's not. It, it's just like, <laughs> in fact, Lori Lightfoot has never been elected. She has right. b- been, appointed, been appointed, appointed by the establishment. So if a, anything, yeah. she is like a growth on, <laughs> she is like an extra arm yeah. Yeah. on like the, on like the establishment. The thing I kept thinking was it, now they have the, the they has the, ammo every time we critique her to call us racist and sexist Mm -hmm. like that if they had elected if they had backed daily and then we could make the but now the same way like they can flip the they've learned the move yeah basically of like calling when it actually is and now they can use that as a deflection of like you're just being hypercritical because she's a black woman and and i think and i i I think it's even even more nuanced than that to like give them or they or the machine credit i don't even think in the chicago landscape that's the play I think it is then the defense to say that it is not a racist, sexist, mm-hmm. homophobic move. Yeah, right. Like we're, we're going because because yeah. you know as the movement was becoming documented, it, that was the headline: is that this black queer feminist movement mm-hmm. is resisting and opposing police violence, mm-hmm. and so we are going to appoint a black queer woman to respond to the resistance to police violence, right. and then set her up to be the commander in chief of the police. It's like at all these. <laughs> it's like at all these protests when the first line is always the people of color who are cops mm-hmm. and then the white cops stand right behind them. Yeah. And to the fucking, and to the part that like the public didn't even know about where she was at, like, right, that's, I mean, we kind of do it, we don't even do it enough here of like lampooning or really um, aggressively attacking local established corporate media because it wasn't like they didn't know, it wasn't like it was happening in the shadows. They had cameras at all of this. This was all, <laughs> like, it's not just our phones and our little independent media yeah. that, Two, three, five, seven, twelve. They were all there every month. Uh, and so they were aware of that story. That story is archived yep. in their footage. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they, you know, you, you see how much they are willing to talk about a soda tax narrative, right? <sighs> but to just erase the fact that there was all this resistance, all it's this opposition. It's wild. It is wild. And, and that's how you know that something was happening behind. They were like, oh, we're not about to step on these toes. Yeah. Yeah. We're good. We're not going to step on these toes. We understand that we're not allowed to do that. So what we're going to do is just keep our mouths shut or we're going to endorse show it. Show something like, else. Right? Yeah. Or show something else. Or, you know, because you're- St. Patrick's Day Parade. Oh, like. my goodness. <laughs> Cubs like, game. It's, it's, actually, it's actually wild Jesse Jackson. that because that was a huge moment. Moment. I thought I saw it was a, a period. It was a year. You know, it was a huge yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like you, know, so yeah, it was. It's a thing. It's a thing. And 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 I think Lori Lightfoot is a tool to pacify the people. And I think she's going to, you know, under this guise of being progressive, like people also just like, you know, what does it mean to progressive? Quote, yeah, air quotes. Like we need an air quote sound effect. Actually, every time someone oh hits my someone with that, yeah, I'm sure y'all encounter that all the time. Like, <laughs> we get some air quotes up here. I use my I use my hand so much when I, I like speak. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just like it, I'm really confused, and I'm just very sad about it. But you know what? On that last day, I knew we were gonna have to fight regardless, mm-hmm. right? Like, obviously, neither candidate was the perfect candidate, and the idea of an individual position anyway you know it's right. right so the the systems that we are opposing the way that they're built like the way that the the structure in itself exactly and so you know i was just like you know i'm just so excited i think i made like a little instagram post like uh, you know it doesn't matter what happens like i took my young people to vote like we we were hmm. out here we were having real conversations yeah. we we're engaging one another like critically mm-hmm. about this moment and that's deep that's the work Right. Transforming those who participate. Right. And like, it's like, 
Hmm. Once you, because voting is very intimidating. And, and I think I would actually love to kind of talk about that, um, the, the experience that I had with my young people when we were taking them to vote for the first Let's time. Let's do it. We can, um, if you would love to talk about it. I would it, love that. I would love that. Because love like, <laughs> I had a young person who was like, actually several young people who were like, uh, I don't want to vote because, like, it feels, uh, I don't want them to have my information. That was one. That was one ex- hmm. uh, one that I heard a couple times. Another one was, like, I don't know that they said, like, prison, but there was some kind of, like, comparison hmm. to the, like, you go into this room. These people are there with you. They're asking you these particular kinds of questions. And they're not even doing mm-hmm. it kindly. Mm-hmm. Like, when I was taking young people to the polls, they were like, uh, are you registered to— is this your first time voting? Like they were the, the kind of like energy that they were giving young people. I think on one end, they were kind of confused. Like, why are you here? Quick yeah. question to that point. Is there any difference in like the infrastructure of who operates state and national elections and the Chicago s- cycle? Is it like the same? It's the, same, it's the board of elections. It's the, okay. I think it's, it's, it's and they don't run. separate. Okay. I don't it think is, so. I don't think so. Because it's the either. same voting machines. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right. But right. I, I'm not sure, but I don't right. think and so. And usually the same people mm-hmm. who have been, who like yeah. occupy that position because mm-hmm. they just apply for it every yeah. year. Mm-hmm. But just think about like that becomes a space and environment where like, the people who are running the station are determining what kind of energy they're going to give you as you're voting. Yeah. And I'm not even talking about like on some like, oh, who are you voting for? Because they're not allowed to do that. Yeah. I'm talking about on some like encouragement and yeah. like making young folks feel empowered and mm-hmm. like being, being excited for them yeah. to you come. You should get like a first timer sticker or something. Mm-hmm. And, like being patient with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that was the opposite of what I experienced. My, my young people when they were, it was like, as soon as they saw the young people, they're like, um, are y'all with a program? Like, are you what, uh, are you registered to vote? You don't know if you're registered to vote. So did you vote last time? You don't remember. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you have, da, 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 like, it was just like mm-hmm. that kind of energy mm-hmm. instead of being like, oh, what's up? Like, is your first, okay, you you don't know. Yeah. We can check. Like, we got, yeah. I got you. Like, let me just pull up. You got your ID on you? Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that kind of energy mm-hmm. really changes the way that um, young people feel welcomed and like, I mean, it was like after we left the polling station with our young people, they were like, wow, that was quicker than I expected. Mm, But that was because like me and Myra and our squad like had the energy of that. We were like, you know, like, how are you feeling? So we're going to explain like each candidate and like kind of what they're, you know, what they stand for and, you know, what they're, you know, some of their policy ideas. And then, you know, how do you feel like who, you know. Do you have any other questions? And like, okay, no, I'm definitely gonna vote for Tony Franklinko. Like, you know, um, not even on some like I'm voting for Tony because you told me to. Right. More on some like I'm informed. Exactly. Yeah. And then we was like clapping for them when they were leaving. You were like, okay, boom, 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 boom. You know, like making them feel <laughs> excited. And they were like, wow, I definitely thought that was gonna take longer than it actually took. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because there is this kind of I think there's an environment that is created that that is created to to like repel young folks from from engaging in a history of voter suppression that whether people know the active history or not like that gets internalized also of like you know when you think it's going to take a long time it's because it has taken a very long time in the past you know both like individual times but also like to be able to vote took a really long time you know that kind of stuff adds up and we don't invest like we don't invest in i mean when i tell you like we're walking down the street like school just got out we're walking down the street what's up y'all like have y'all gone to vote like how you feeling yeah. like, come on come vote with me real mm. quick like yeah. being being just like engaging mm. and then because like young people a lot of them 
are actually have nothing to do after school because like the school is it says they they have police there and they say like you need to leave like you need to go you need to get off the property like yeah i don't know what you're doing you can go somewhere else you got to go somewhere so they end up congregating at the mcdonald's yeah, or like yeah. at the bp like grabbing some snack like there and so young folks are out there and nobody's engaging with them yeah. and so like we're out there just like having conversations i'm when i tell you like I grabbed a squad of people who I didn't even know. I had mm. not known them before that instance. I'm like, what's up? You trying to, you know, I'll, I'll like, they're like, man, I ain't, you know, I had some of those, like, I ain't trying yeah. to vote, like, blah, blah, blah. But then there were other folks who was like, I mean, yeah, like, what's up? Like, let's talk about it. And it's just like, we don't value, we don't place value in like building up young, engaging young people in that way. Like, I think if we, if we engage with them, if there was actually like, resources not not only like around the time of voting but like generally speaking to engage young folks in like conversations civically about things that they care about like in their schools or like in their neighborhoods they have a lot to say yeah they've experienced so much by way of existing right and like for some reason we don't take their experience as expert right it really baffles me that like we are we make these kind of determine we we determine like the value of somebody's voice by way of their age and by, way of, and, yeah. and by way of their, educa- like their education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To many people, a 16-year-old could never have something powerful to say about, you know, their experience or their encounters with police. But when we sit down in these classrooms and we say like, okay, hey, y'all, like, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're doing role plays about like police. Like we just literally are just like, okay, so what to y'all, what is a, what is a good encounter with the police? And then they, from their imagination, from what they have literally seen before, literally act out what a good police, Hmm. quote unquote, good police Mm -hmm. um, encounter is. And it's bad. Like, you know (laughs) what I mean? Like that is very telling. Mm -hmm. And like, we need to hear young people when, when they are like saying, well, this is a good encounter, right? Like, you know, that's what they do. They search my bag. But no, actually, that shouldn't be normalized. And also, like, when they stop you, they're supposed to give you this ticket. Like, have you ever received a ticket? Like, mm-hmm. n- not a ticket as, like, to pay, but, but like, like some documentation. Yeah, a yeah. receipt. Right. A receipt, yeah. right? Yeah. And, like, oh, oh, no. Like, this has actually never happened to me. But that, that's the law, right? And right. so, like, um, I, I think, like, yeah, I'm just, I be getting mad. I get very frustrated when, like, the, the other day I was on a panel and some of my young people came and they were like, Trina, why do you think that, like, young people are leaving the city of Chicago? You know, there's this exodus. And I was like, you know, I have my own beliefs, but um, I got a couple students in the back. Like, I wonder what they would like to say about this. <laughs> and I say, like, you know, y'all feel, com- you're, what, you, do one of y'all want to chop it? Like, do y'all, one of y'all want to speak up? And my student, Deanna, she just started, she's just, like, talking about, Jobs. She talked about jobs. She talked about housing, and she talked about police. I did not tell her like when we met. As we, she she still doesn't to this day really know that like I'm a police and prison abolitionist. Mm -hmm. Like because we don't talk about that. We talk about like life and like you know or like how we want to be responsible. I'm not like necessarily having like theory conversations with Mm -hmm. her in that way. Like we just talk about other things, but like. That is her experience. Right. She's like, there's not a lot of jobs. You know, there is nothing in my neighborhood, in my area. Housing is frustrating. It's very difficult, like, to find housing, to secure it, and then to keep it, especially when you, when talking about in some places you cannot have felons live with you. Right. 
and your your the father of your child, your baby right, daddy right. is a fe- like right. like think about think about how that just like automatically disqualifies you from living. You know, d- uh, diminishes your options. Yeah, As, and and we talking about we live in Chicago, like we live in the United States, like mass incarceration right. of black folks, brown folks is a real thing. So like, how are you? You know, this is like systemic. Like right. It, I don't know. So, so I'm just it was like, just coming from, like put my kids on it, yeah. put my kids on a panel and like talk to like listen to them because like their lived experience yeah. really is a reflection of 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 some of, some of these like high level policy yeah. issues that we be like talking about th- theoretically. Yeah. So young people's stories plus data equals maybe something changing. Is that kind of the hope? I mean, that's my that is my hope. I, I believe that there like there is power in uh, using data to amplify the voices of everyday people so that not only that those folks feel supported and not alone and not like it's their fault because uh, there's a lot of shaming that happens to folks when they're like, dang, I can't take care of my kids. Like I want to X, Y, Z. And they feel like internal shame because of that. That's you, that, that shame is not on you. So like making sure that they feel like whole and complete and um, not like a bad parent, family member person, but then also that change needs to happen and it's happening to so many other people in this moment. Right. And that's not okay. Yeah. Like that's that's really my oh my goal. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll see what happens in mm. the future. Hmm. Um, I like where the tone where you ended up. You know, because like sometimes I get so frustrated. I'm just I was talking to my homegirl this morning. Shout out Johanna. That's my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, girl, you need to, you know, I just see you running the city one day. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know that I don't know that I ever see myself like in a position, you know, in in that way. Um, mostly because I have like issues with like there are some structural issues that I have with yeah. like some like some of these things. And so I was like, you know, I could flirt with the idea of running for alderman one day, mm-hmm. like in my neighborhood, you know, like having um uh some resources, like being in touch with particular resources in order to like support my community in the way that I imagine that I envision. Um, I think that's super powerful. But also, you know, it's it's a lot of bullshit. Like right. The, um, and even when you get into these positions of power, when you're trying to make decisions and you're in this room full of other people, right. other aldermen or folks on city council who have different values and different, you know, different sayings or whatever. like And different people they're beholden to. And different people they're beholden to. You you are now facing a different beast. Like yeah. it's, a, it's a hope because now you have to like demand the respect of your peers um, and I think about this in relationship with aldermanic prerogative. Mm-hmm. For those um, who don't know, uh, and I think we were talking about before we went on, that's the idea that any development within a ward, uh, other aldermen will not oppose that development if the alderman of that ward supports it. Right. And so on one end, you know, when thinking about aldermanic prerogative, it's like, okay, that's not okay because this this kind of this kind of behavior has allowed for something like the cop academy. To exist, which is like actually taking money from our whole, you know, right. from everyone. But then on the other end, when I'm thinking about like how I would love to, if I was an alderman, like I would want to be able to like control the resources and the things that are being built in my neighborhood because right. the value, the value that other city council members may place on, you know, the 
the things that they housing, the things that they exactly the yeah. things that they prioritize um may not be what I'm prioritizing for my neighborhood and so then you get into this tricky situation where it's like okay well we definitely don't want aldermen to have the power to create you know uh this cop academy mm-hmm. that is literally draining resources from like communities across Chicago which is a whole nother but but then we also have this situation where like okay if somebody does come into mm-hmm. being an alder person and they have like power they having be able the to do what they want to exactly. do sorry to cut you off yeah it's okay no but and, and so that's why I struggle with it I yeah. struggle with it because I'm just like okay so now we have to create a policy that is very and that's the issue with policy yeah there are like words and loopholes and and technicalities yeah. that like can allow for ugly things to manifest well it's, I'm it's glad that you're already thinking through how you're going to handle that once you're an older person <laughs> that's good look <laughs> <laughs> you were like because you, you brought this up and it's like well let me imagine that role and what would be the challenges of that it's like Man, you're thinking about what it would be like to be in that room. That's a cool thing. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, you looked at me like, what was I about to say? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's, you know, the the policy thing, like overall, holistically, like what policy, and that's even where the word police comes from, it's an attempt to like establish absolute order in a world where there are no absolute realities, right? Mm. Like our world is complex and contradictory and fluid. And so this idea of like, you know, us 50 people can make this rule that is... Is is set that we're going to then conserve and be conservative about is is yeah it's a, and then and then the, yeah the Ottoman prerogative shit is wild because that's as anti democratic as possible right mm-hmm. like the city of two point seven six now there is one only one person has to agree with it right like your entire ward can disagree with it the entire city can disagree with it but if the person who wants it or is benefiting from it gets the coercion or the permission or the persuasion of one position one person then it's pretty much absolute. Mm-hmm. And that's wild. I'm just thinking about how much between when we first met and now the three of us have learned. <laughs> so <laughs> Just much. like all the things that we're talking about that like I did not know two and a half, three years ago, yeah. like the actual terms and the way things work. And that feels like, you know, the the shift, the goals don't shift and the objectives don't, I mean, they shift a little bit, but it's like, it's still working toward the same thing. But I'm just on like a personal level feeling like, oh, we actually like might maybe know some shit now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's we have definitely cool. we have definitely yeah, come like super far and like are capable of doing so much cool like le- like the breathing room. Oh my God. I'm like, ugh, that's a real thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's a thing that came out of like imagination yeah. and hard work and like, you know, piecing things together. Yeah. And and I think like, you know, it's funny that like years ago. Years ago, I don't know, almost maybe <laughs> almost wait, for, to me, like four years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm in this in these space, like in this space, and like screaming and talking my shit, and um, not knowing in that moment that like years later, I the same person I was screaming at, you know, I would be facing as my mayor elect yeah. like you know that's, that's a huge a but that shows like the importance of like some of the work that we're doing right now and yeah. how we're like laying the foundation the because had work. we had we not done any of that work we wouldn't have this knowledge we, right not at all yeah. and then we would have had like a black lesbian mayor and even more of us would have been like oh yeah that's oh cool. my god let's get out of like, shot this is historic yeah. you know what i mean like <laughs> right. big deal or we wouldn't have even had a black lesbian ma- i mean that's True. the other thing exactly we would have right. had exactly. a daily because it, it was a reaction to us right. exactly it was a re- because they knew that we were gonna fight like yeah. the, the fight was gonna look different yeah and um then it would look between like two black women god life is long um yeah i feel i feel definitely <laughs> i feel seasoned yeah, i feel yeah. uh 
I'm just like, I don't know how to feel about it. And sometimes I'm just like, wow, time has really passed. And I still feel like a child. I still yeah. feel, even though I have like responsibility mm-hmm, and I've yeah. set these things that I was, I mean, I was telling Daniel earlier, like, you know, today I don't know how I'm feeling because I'm thinking about the future and yeah. like how I want my life to look, what I want my life to be. Um, and I don't know when I will be happy, like when I will feel content or mm-hmm. like successful in this yeah. in this work that we're doing because like there's always so much work to do and so how do we find that balance um so let's end there let, yeah let, I right, think right so. now in this second define what that success for you looks like if you can and no, no I, i'm gonna First challenge you all. to do it and and, and risk being wrong <laughs> and then this is a time capsule that Shout you can you, always David. look back on and and, and compare to oh my gosh that's dope. The pressure. David, no. I love you. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> you know, be, be wrong oh, if you that's want. that's so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Be declarative, possibly yeah. wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I imagine success. This is what it looks like in my head, y'all. I imagine being in my home that is a space for community. Mm-hmm. That is like a transitory space. That is a space that is open to people in my neighborhood, in my community. Um, be, be it people that I know personally or not at all. Success also looks like trusting the young people who are doing the the new work and knowing that they feel supported and that they will always have a home to come to with some collard greens and some cornbread, some black eyed peas that I made for them. Mm-hmm. A piece of it is like having access to young people and like supporting them and and encouraging and, and making them f- feel empowered. Um, and then also on the on the other side, just like being able to have some flexibility in my work, being able to be creative and also like powerful and empowered when advocating for my people, mm-hmm. when like uh, talking about my people. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very possible. Yeah. Right. But that's yeah. like, but, but like, that's also low key kind of where you're at. Mm, we're working toward now. No, it's true. It's true. Yes. So you that, might be successful. Um. Yes. Yes. This is this look, is valid. Look, this look, is look valid. Shut up. This was a plan. No, it wasn't. Was, that was a plan. Yeah, yeah. What is success? What What do you think? I mean, because a, a big part of it for me is like I'm always working. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I need to stop working at mm-hmm. some point, like mm-hmm. in this way, because yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always in rapid response. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I don't like that feeling. Yeah. And so, like, what does that mean to y'all? Wow. Ooh, we love we love the. The turnaround. I mean, I'm constantly figuring it out and it keeps changing. I want to keep creating containers for people to be heard. Like that has been the the through line from any point of clarity that I had in my work. It was I want to create a container where someone else can be heard in it and like actually heard by other people, someone who might not be heard without that container. So continuing to find bigger and bigger ways to do that. Because I do think it's like I know I'm grounded in what I'm toward that path because I do feel like I'm doing that now. So continuing to do that in a way that's more and more impactful. How about you, Dan? So first, and like this is something I've always heard older people say (laughs) that was like corny or never had specificity to it. It became kind of cliche. But I want to like center and prioritize health in any like value system I have. And I think on a personal level, but also politically, even the stuff we talk about today, like policing, and I'll get back to myself, but like policing as an impediment on The old policing deflection. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like that that is the claim that we can make that like this is harmful to the body. Right. On a, on a mass scale. But so to myself, right. Uh, make sure to be able to sustain my shelter, my nutrition, my rest and my physical activity and like being able to make that more possible for more people in my family, in my community. Um, certainly 
I am in a place of like trying to work towards being able to transcend time and like have legacy beyond my existence. Uh, so growing up, that was always projected to me in like in terms of financial legacy and like we need as black people to stop passing down debt, which is like, okay, where, uh, but more like creatively, um, ideologically, whether it's through writing, whether it's through art, whether it's through political organizational structure, I want some of that work to be engaged when I'm dead, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that, that is actually really big for me. Uh, I want to be a, a good parent that raises good parents. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's kind of like, I'm thinking about that now. Like I'm not even thinking, I don't have children yet, but as I'm thinking about becoming a parent. I'm that would have been a real plot twist. Shout out. Pur, 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 pur. Shout out my five-year-old. It's like, <laughs> Um, excuse me. <laughs> you bogus. <laughs> so yeah, so I, so raising successful children and like helping, and then back to like the more material, like helping to just sustain my family at a, at a higher level, right? Like I've mm-hmm. had, I've had access and have, have always had enough to be okay. My needs have always been met, mm-hmm. um, but like you know, I have family members that are in in the extended form that are fucked up, you know, and I have, and then other, and then the rest of us are like just barely surviving, just barely getting by. And I just want to alleviate some of that tension. Um, and then to to travel the world and have a deeper connection to the diaspora. Yes, I want to have intimate knowledge of the the peoplehood, the nationalities of the continent. Yes. I want to be able to speak about the resources and the cultural differences with with like some precision. Real quick before we go, just building off that, I know like we've talked a little bit about your experiences traveling. Oh shit! Yes. Does that feel and maybe like where have you been and and, and does that feel yeah. like you're purpose. on that path too? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, traveling, engaging with the diaspora is really important to me. Um, where have you been doing it? I so so thus far, um, I went to Spain, mm-hmm. which was. Um, that was my first time ever being out of the country. Mm-hmm. I was in college. But when I was there, I didn't kick it with Spaniards at all. Like I kicked it with Moroccans the yeah. whole time. Like, um, and it's it, there's an interesting you was on the south side. It was, <laughs> no, you was like, on the south side of Spain. actually like <laughs> all night, like dancing, like talking. Police pulled us over before, like it was a whole situation. Moroccans are treated right like the south side. Yes. No, it's bad. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. But multiply that times also Moroccans having conquered Spain in the past. Right, right, so there's right, the right, double right, level. Yeah. I was just in Andalusia the whole, like, last three weeks. So, like, yeah, those those are, it's like, imagine if the South Side had conquered the North Side for, like, 400 <laughs> years, and then the North Side had beaten back, back yeah. the yeah. South Side, and then they're still like, oh, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, that was deep, and that was my, that was the moment, I think, when I was like, oh, yeah, I need to be talking to black people, like, mm-hmm. all over. And um, I went to Cuba mm. for... Um, about a week. Um, and then I went to, I've been to Colombia twice. Um, the first time for a week, the second time for a month, which mm-hmm. was in December, mm-hmm. from December to January. Of this past year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. And the last time I went, it was with the with the intentions of talking to black women about their experiences, about safety, mostly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what is it, what what does safety look like to you? What is it, when, when do you feel safe? Like, do y'all call the police? Or like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what does that look like? And then I was in four different cities. And in each city, I, you know, I heard various things. And I I, I know we run out of time. No, you're good. I want to tell this, this is like, fascinating. It, it was um, in each place that I went. So when I was in Bogota, I, I spoke with a woman who, um, so a lot of 
black women out there, they clean. They're like cleaning homes and mm. cleaning hotels. And, you know, we were, we, uh, this woman, uh, we had a conversation about, you know, just like uh, she wasn't from, a lot of black folks are not from Bogota, like black people live mm -hmm. on the coast. Right. So I, you know, I, we were talking about her journey to Bogota and like how long she's been here. And she's just like, you know, I came here for work. My three children live in the coast with right. my mother. I come here to work so that I can send money back. Um, I haven't seen them. Um, I only see them once a year for 15 days. And then I come back, mm. you know, here and I work. And her kids are older, too. They're like, there's a range, like maybe like a seven-year-old to like a 15-year-old. Mm. And that's a big deal. And, and she just like, you know, I just want to make enough money to to buy a home there. Right. And I said, like, who do you have here? Like, what does it look like for you to relax and be 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 good here? She's like, I live with my auntie. My cousin's here. I'm always working. There's not a moment when I'm not working. Hmm. Then when I was in... um. Cartagena, mm -hmm. you go to these islands and they're like islands full of... It, Cartagena is like a very touristy place. And so like uh, black people are are li literally like um, vehicles for tourism. And they're, they're clean, again, cleaning, um, uh, carrying your bags, like doing a lot of these like uh, service things, mm -hmm. but like a particular kind of service, not like giving you food. Like they're not necessarily in, all, in the restaurants mm -hmm. um, right. because you can't be black black like uh darker skin black right. uh in some of these positions and then on top of that they have to travel for 2 hours right. by bus to get to their to get to the job is this like resort style um no, no. not even mm. but because people live like real community of yeah. people they don't live in Cartagena right. they live in the outskirts mm. yeah. they cannot afford to right. but they work there mm. right and so I, just like talking to folks about their experiences there and just like having to like the safety of traveling a safety of financial security like that um safety of uh education like having access to education that was a big one when i was in Gali, I was speaking with a woman. Um, she was also like cleaning, cleaning up the crib, but she was like, it was like an apartment, like an Airbnb that was kind of like apartments. And they didn't have her in an apartment. They had her under the stairs on a cot. Like, hmm. and when I tell you, like the the it was it was smaller than this table that we're hmm. sitting in front of right now. And it was the holiday. And randomly, like, you know, I, this whole time we have been in I have been in conversation with her. And um, she asked me for water one day. And I was, I, I, because I, I hadn't been thinking about really how people have to buy water. And, right, right. and as I'm thinking, as I'm buying water, I was, I never, I hadn't made the connection yet. And she asked me for a cup of water one day. I was like, oh no, you can have the bottle. And, uh, and she was like, no, 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 like I don't wanna be a, I'm just like, it's really fine, you know, mm. like we're good, you know. Yeah. I, like I rock, you like we, you know, we family, like what's up? And then <laughs> when I, I was on my way out to the um to the feria, it's like Christmas day. Right. She's like sweating. I'm like, do you want some water? And she just like, can I talk to you for a second? Mm. And she starts to cry. A black woman who I barely knew is crying. And I'm not even, this is not the guy, like an interview, like, oh, I want to sit down yeah, and talk yeah, to you. You're not doing ethnography. I'm not exactly. Yeah. Like, we're just in conversation. And 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 she starts to talk about how, like, she's like, the economy here is terrible. Like, I, she's like, I want to go out and hang out with my friends. And, and like, I want to, like, eat with my family, but I can't. I have to be here and working and cleaning people's room and people are not nice to me and like it's not fair and is it easy in America like why mm. or what, how come you're able to do this like I don't understand right. it and at that evening um, after we got dinner we just came back 
and just sat with her for like two hours, just like kind of chilling on the stairs, like listening, like listening to music and like dancing in the hallway, mm-hmm. even though there was a whole festival going on outside because it was like, okay, who do I want to be in community with? Like, mm-hmm. who am I trying to build with right now? Mm-hmm. Who am I trying to get to know? Am I trying to like be outside? Like, you know, getting drunk, like, yes, that is fun. But also, <laughs> like, I brought us a little pint. And, you know, we in the, we're in there, like, right beside where she's sleeping. Um, right. It's like Harry Potter style, y'all. It's ridiculous. Mm, yeah. And we're just having a really good time. Yeah. And I come, I find out that she's 18 years old. And the way that she has been, like, the way that life has treated her uh, up until this point, like, she, she does not look like an 18-year-old. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, she yeah. looks like she is like not to say anything is wrong right. with people no, but she's who look carrying right. some weight. Right. She is not clearly carrying but like some weight. Yeah. And so like, you know, that experience, I mean, I met several other like like many people and I had many conversations, but I was like, oh, this is important work and we need to have these conversations on a regular basis because some of these things that are happening in the United States are being replicated. Like the yeah. history is moving a little differently, maybe a little slower because of like conflict um mm-hmm. or just like context of various different places, but we're all going through it. And we all have methods and modes of resistance and Mm. learning from each other and having conversations about that resistance and some of that like sadness and that joy and that dancing like is deep. And I'm really trying to, I'm trying to get like that. I love how seeing you like blew up the paradigm for her though. She was like, how are you able to, like, are you able to do that? Because she saw herself in you and saw you able to do this thing she wanted and all of a sudden it like, it, it broke the script a little bit. Yeah. That's beautiful. I was like... And to give shape to some of that American privilege that's invisible to us often. It really yeah. does. And I was like, wow, who am I? I really had to think about hmm. like, well, I definitely like, I decided that I was going to be gone for a month. I fundraised for that. And I bought my flight. I like, and I, I can't, I just came here. Many of us can do that, but we don't know it yeah. that we can. And many of us actually cannot do it, even yeah. if we desire to do it because yeah. of the way that systemic oppression like impacts us. No, but it's an amazing ability to be able or opportunity to be able to get and just like dig in a little bit there. Yeah. I think that's a that's a podcast. Yeah, no, that's great. Let's check out. How do you feel? This was beautiful. Oh my goodness, yeah. I was so nervous. Yeah. I love y'all so Aww, much. I think I y'all are you. so phenomenal. Uh, it's like, uh, uh. so I'm 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 feeling really rejuvenated. I'm really glad we spoke. This is one of the longest conversations we've ever done. I'm yeah. like, you are so wonderful. Thank I, you so much. I'm Appreciate glad. it. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. How you feeling? I feel good. I still have a cold that didn't go away in this hour and forty five minutes, but I feel good. I'm 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 thinking a lot about that. Just that moment of engagement there between you and her, and like, yeah. The, the 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 space for for connection there that just comes from like literally talking to somebody it's a good it's a good tool like data's good too I'm not knocking the data <laughs> but uh no, that's a good tool I'm really reflecting on like the learning experience of some of our organizers even though sometimes it didn't feel very <laughs> organized oh my goodness. <laughs> right but we but but being that active for really that, you know, two-year crunch of like 2014 to 2016. And the the idea that if it weren't for that specific community and, and mode of operating, I wouldn't have even been critical of this election. Wouldn't have had any... And so like that is a very clear like, oh, we learned something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that 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 is the what I'm taking away, that we have, we have learned things. Anything sticking out on your mind as like something you think you'll carry away from this conversation? Um, Other than how cute we are. Oh, my goodness. That (laughs) overshadows everything. No. um, Yeah, no, just like the power of talking to people and just being in conversation. Like, I didn't really know what I was going to talk to y'all about because uh, 
I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, but there is something very valuable about the kinds of conversations that we we have all the time. And I I, I believe that we have these conversations in passing mm-hmm. quite a bit. And so just like the the archival of this is really important. Mm. And and like we have so much within us, like so much knowledge and so much like thought and experience we don't realize is so important and mm-hmm. other people should hear. And so yeah. d- this just feels like a very powerful experience um, in general. Obviously, like everything we talked about was important, but just like this as a thing that exists, it it's really important and it really matters because young people who come like who come later who are not even born yet, right, mm-hmm. will be able to hear these conversations. And, you know, hopefully by then Lori Lightfoot is not our mayor. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but that's to say that they will be able to really learn from these conversations that we have, some of these experiences we That's have. the goal. Oh, yeah. You get it. How can folks find you or your work in the ways you want to be found? Um, well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Trina T. True. Nice. Yeah, cool. that's me. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Send your data her way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at uh, Ergo Kiss. I'm at Damon underscore AF. We're at Ergo Radio on everything. Thank you so much for coming through and chopping it up with us. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> much love to the people. Peace. Peace. This episode of Ergo has been brought to you by the House Theater of Chicago, now presenting Pinocchio, a tall tale about telling the truth. It's a classic fairy tale of a wooden boy who wishes to become real, and it's running through May 19th at the Chopin Theater in Wicker Park. The House Theater has been proudly producing original plays and immersive events for 18 years. This season, the House recognizes the contributions of Lee Dickinson. You can learn more and buy tickets at www.thehousetheater.com. Go check out Pinocchio. It's a real, real suspenseful tale with some twists in there. Yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to wreck that for you.